summarizing uh, um, Genesis 44, which we finished last week, there was uh, uh, his brothers had come and they said, our iniquity has been found out. They were confessing that God has now exposed them. This was, this was their confession. And Judah says, look, you know, I, I, I can't let my father not see Benjamin again. Please let me stay in Benjamin's stead. And so he was sacrificing his own life for the sake of Benjamin. And, and that's when, when uh, Joseph realizes, okay, he had brought his brothers to the point where they had originally said, we are honest men. And now they had come around to the point of saying, you know, God has found out our iniquity. You know, we are guilty. And so he had brought them to the point that he also assessed what they thought of his father. They were not going to put his father through this, this misery again. And they also, he also was able to assess what they thought of Benjamin. And then once that's done, now he, now he can, he can uh, uh, reveal himself to them. So in chapter 45, verse 1. And if this doesn't bring tears to your eyes, I mean, I, I don't know what will. Uh, then in chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him. And he cried, Have everyone go out from me. So there was no man with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. And they came closer. And he said, I am your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me for because you sold me here for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these 2 years and there are still 5 years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Now therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And He has made me a father to Pharaoh, and Lord of all his household, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father, and say to him, Thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not delay. So he reveals himself to his brothers, and he says in verse 1, then Joseph could not control himself. So he, he just couldn't control it anymore. And he just broke down and he, he told all his Egyptian servants to leave. Just go, go out. He didn't want to weep in front of them. And for good reason. He is going to be revealing, I am Joseph, whom you sold into slavery. Now imagine if all of Joseph's servants hear that these brothers sold this guy whom they loved so much, who has saved their nation, into slavery, they would turn, that would turn these Egyptians against the brothers. And uh, uh, this, is, this is as the Bible talks about, do not pick up another person's reproach. What this means is that if somebody does something to offend me, God is going to give me the grace to forgive them. Now, if you were to take on my offense and say, how could you have done that to Dr. Tour? 
God is not going to give you the grace to forgive that person what they did to me. I was the one who was offended by this. God will give me the grace to forgive. And so, so we have to be very careful not to pick up another's reproach. And he doesn't want to put the Egyptians in this, in this uh, uh, situation of having to deal with these brothers who they've, he, they're going to find out that he's the one who sold them into slavery. So they're the ones who sold them into slavery. So he sends them all out. And then he, he makes himself known to his brothers. It says in verse 2, And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and the household of Pharaoh heard it. So remember, he had come home for lunch the day before to have lunch with them from work. So in other words, where this exchange is going on, where people from all these other nations are coming to buy food, they have to come to where Joseph lives. And all this business is going on not far from outside his home here. And now he's just, he just came in for lunch. They had the meal together. The brothers spent the night. And now this is early in the morning. They're bringing them back. And Joseph hadn't yet left for work. And, and all this is now happening early in the morning here. So all the Egyptians hear this. And it says, also the household of Pharaoh heard it. In other words, his home was either part of Pharaoh's home or adjacent to Pharaoh's home. That Pharaoh's servants also hear this guy crying. When Pharaoh said, you're going to be in charge of my household, of my home, he meant it. Joseph was the overseer of Pharaoh's home, just as Joseph had an overseer of his own home to take care of all the details we read about him. Joseph was the overseer of Pharaoh's home. And so this was adjacent to Pharaoh's home. So Pharaoh's servants also hear this. He says in verse 3, Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father alive? So he says, I'm Joseph. Is my father alive? Now they've just been telling him about the father. That's not a question as to whether his father is alive. He realizes his father is alive. He's just like, is my father alive? It's a question, but it's also a statement of glee. Like, uh, like if, if somebody says, are you serious? It, it, it's not that they're questioning whether you're really being serious, it's just, it's just, just a, a statement of glee. And, and uh, he says this, and for good reason, because Jacob, Joseph's father, was 108 when, when uh, uh, Joseph was sold into slavery. 108. It's been 22 years. So the man is now 130. Now remember, if, 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 you, if you had looked back at, at, at the earlier teachings in Genesis... People lived a long time, and then you see this, this uh, genetic entropy, and it just curves around, and it's this genetic, this, uh, uh, this entropic decay curve that you see all the time in, in, in many parts of biology, where things can, can, can start out high, and then it swings around, and then it remains level. We're on this level part, because it was written, it was written in the book of Genesis that people will live 70 years if due to strength 80. So this is written by, by David about 700 uh, uh, B.C., 800, 900 B.C., somewhere around in there. This is right on the turn where people are going from very long lifetimes to sh- much shorter lifetimes. And you see this decrease as you go along here. He's, he's right at this, this inflection point. And uh, we, we, we studied that before in this class. And uh, in fact, in, in one of my recent YouTube videos uh, with, with Dr. Sanford, he was the one that, he's the, the, the uh, plant geneticist that, that described this genetic entropy. Uh, so, he, so his father's 130, so it's, it's, it's common that he'd say he's still alive with that surprise. 
And then he, it says, he says, but his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come closer. So remember, he's Lord of all the land. There is some distance between them and him. All the interpreters have now gone, and he is speaking to them now in Hebrew. So imagine their surprise, because remember, they were speaking to each other, thinking that he didn't understand them, and he understood every word that they were saying to each other. Now he's speaking to them in Hebrew, without any interpreters there. And he says, uh, uh, Then Joseph said to his brothers, Please come closer to me. And they came closer, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. There's no mistake now. There's no, this guy's not fudging it, just he learned the name of our brother, and now he says he's our brother. He knows exactly what we have done. Think about Benjamin's surprise. Benjamin was not about uh, among the brothers that sold him into slavery. Benjamin was 11 years old with his father at the time. Benjamin's mother died in childbirth, giving birth to Benjamin. Benjamin was 11 because Joseph is six years older than Benjamin. Benjamin was 11 when Joseph was 17 and sold into slavery. This is the first that Benjamin is learning that his brothers sold his full brother, Joseph, into slavery. Think about what's going through his mind. That here this young man grew up without a mother. He had this older brother to somehow shield him. And now he's learning that... So, so imagine his surprise. Now, what I want you to focus on today is just amazing. This is an amazing thing that's revealed to us in this passage. It says in verse 5, now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. I mean, look at the forgiveness of this guy. He says, now, now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves. Huh? Don't be grieved or angry with yourselves that you sold me here? I mean, this is so kind, so gracious. He says, because... You sold me here. God sent me before you to preserve life. God is the one who did it. Everything about Joseph's life reflects God. Remember, we've gone through whole chapters in the book of Genesis where God is, God's name is never mentioned. It's not implied. It's not, not, not even talked about in any way. With Joseph, everything is God. We're going to see in about, in, 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 he, he cites God multiple times over the next five verses. He says, God sent me before you to preserve life. He views all of this situation. This is all ordained by God. The whole thing is ordained by God. He says, don't be upset with yourselves. I mean, the man is so gracious. Remember, he endured. He was kidnapped at 17. He appeared before Pharaoh at the age of 30. So for 13 years, he was either a slave or a prisoner. For 13 years. That could accrue a lot of bitterness. The man had zero, zero bitterness. He says, don't be grieved or angry with yourselves. There was no beating up the people that had so offended him. This man was so forgiving. And then he says, he says for God sent me before you to preserve life. He looked at this, he says, the reason I'm here is to preserve life. That's why I'm here. He viewed this whole situation, I'm here to preserve life. He says, for the famine has been in this land these 
two years, and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And that's how we know he's 39, because he appeared before Pharaoh at the age of 30. He said, you're going to have seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. We're two years into the famine, so it's 30 plus 7 plus 2. He's 39. That makes Benjamin 33. And uh, um, so, so then he says, Now therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. So again, he says in verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Verse 7, God sent me. So in verse 5, he says, God sent me. In verse 7, he says, God sent me before you. Why? To preserve life. Again, he says, the reason God sent me here was to preserve life. He says, to preserve for you a remnant in the earth and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. God sent me to Egypt to preserve the Hebrew remnant. He was sent to Egypt to preserve the Hebrew family alive. That's why he was sent to Egypt. The Egyptians are just collateral blessing. The nation of Egypt is collateral blessing. God's view was to preserve the Hebrews alive. The Egyptians got the collateral blessing. And this is what you find throughout the Scriptures over and over again. There is blessing that comes to the world through the Hebrew people. God said to Abraham, through you the nations will be blessed. Through the Hebrew people, Jesus came and the whole world has been blessed because of this. Over and over again, the world is blessed because of these people that were referred to in the book of Genesis as the Hebrews that then later picked up the name that was given to Jacob called Israel. They're the same people. He says, it's because of you God sent me here because He wanted me to preserve you. And this is the mechanism by which it's going to be done. Then he says in verse 8, Now therefore it was not you who sent me here, but God. So he uses the name of God in verse 5, the name of God in verse 7, the name of God in verse 8. And He has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all his household and ruler over the land of Egypt. He says, I'm like a father to Pharaoh. Pharaoh may well have been younger than him. Many of the pharaohs were young. Joseph was 30 when he appeared before Pharaoh. He had become like a father to him. And, and I know that when I was in college, I met a guy who was 26, and I was 18, and he looked, he looked kind of fatherly to me. And, and uh, you know, because everything's a matter of perspective. So if Pharaoh is, say, 17 or 18, and you got a 30-year-old, that, it's like a father. And, and, uh, he says, he says, hurry, go to my father and say to him, thus says your son, your son, God has made me Lord of Egypt. Come down to me and do not delay. Joseph, uh, Jacob went through such suffering at the loss of his son. He says, you go tell him that he's made me Lord over Egypt. This is not a prideful thing. It, it, it makes, there's nothing that makes parents happier than to see their children doing well. I would much rather see my children getting praised in the, in the local newspaper than myself. You love to see your children doing well. Go tell them, I'm Lord over all of Egypt. Tell my father. Encourage him. Encourage his heart. This is just joy. Share it with my father. You guys who are young, you have no idea how much the, the, the accomplishments that you guys make make your parents happy. 
When you graduate, it makes them happy. When you get through every semester, they're like, oh, thank God they got through another semester. I mean, they just, it just makes them happy. It really makes them happy. And especially if you've been struggling through a semester and you've called them in tears at times, how am I going to deal with this? This is too hard. And you got through this semester, they're like, wow, my child got through this semester. I, I remind my kids, I send my kids a prayer every morning by text. I text them all. I wake up very early. I could never call them. It's way too early to call them. And I send them a text. And, and I remind them sometimes. I said, you, you were struggling so much in your first semester in medical school. You were struggling so, so, so much in your first semester in law school. And God saw you through. I'm so thankful God saw you through. I still remember those days. God saw him through. But what I want, what I want you to see is how forgiving this guy. He's just, just dealing with, with, with this. You know, there was a guy, he came against me once and he, he talked really bad against me in a faculty meeting and everything. And then God really convicted him. God told me that he was going to have a bad dream and he did. And it just, just, anyway. So I saw him at, at a faculty meeting and he walked up and he said, I'm so sorry for what I said. And what I, I said, don't worry about it. Look, I'm the master at saying things that I regret. Just don't worry about it. If you say to a person of the world, I forgive you, it's not that it's bad. It's so strange to them. It's almost like, why are you speaking so condescendingly to me? Like, I forgive you. It, they, but but if, you say, if you say, it's okay. It's okay. The world doesn't understand forgiveness, the words, I forgive you, like believers understand it. And so, so I, I want you to see the way Jesus forgave. It, it is just so striking the way he would forgive people. So if you look in John chapter 4, John chapter 4, we're going to look at how Jesus was just like Joseph in the way he forgave. He didn't belabor the point. He didn't just very quickly. So in John chapter 4, he's speaking to a woman by the well. He asks her for a drink of water. She never gives him any water. And she starts having a discussion with him. The guy is tired and thirsty. He says, can you give me some water? And, and because he didn't have anything to draw with, he'd get in a discussion. Finally, he says in verse 16 of John chapter 4, he said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered and said, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you've correctly said, I have no husband, for you've had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Okay, so she gets saved that very day. She reports it back in the city, and she says, you know, this is the Messiah and everything. Look at how Jesus deals with her. He says, okay, go call your husband. She says, I don't have any husband. He said, you know, you're right. You don't have, you've had five husbands and the guy you're with now isn't your husband. So he took her lie and he said, you're right. He turned it into a truth. He could have said, why you tramp? You're living with a guy right now. But he didn't. He said, he said, uh, um, you've said correctly, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands and the one whom you have is not your husband. So technically, you're right. You don't have a husband. This you've said truly. He said, you've said correctly. You've said truly. Twice he underscores, he takes her lie and he turns it into a truth. This guy is so gracious, so gracious in dealing with forgiveness. And boom, the whole thing is gone. He didn't say, now, now confess to me all your sins. This is now confession. To, no, he's done. She's forgiven. Look, look at this, look at this uh, um, other guy, Luke, Luke chapter 19. 
Luke chapter 19, there's a tax collector. There was nobody as hated as tax collectors because they were Jews. They knew how much everybody else in their community made and they worked for the Roman government and they would uh, deal by extortion too. The Romans didn't care if they took extra for themselves, so they were the most hated people. When Jesus came, Luke chapter 19, verse 5, when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and he came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, they began to grumble, saying, he's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Because because this guy's a tax collector, and Jesus calls him out and says, I'm going to eat at your house today. Zacchaeus stopped and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will give him back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Boom! Forgiveness came to him. He hadn't yet given a penny back. But just his promise, God knew his heart. That's good enough. We don't have to go into any detail. You've done enough. You're forgiven. Jesus doesn't belabor the point. He lets people very easily be forgiven. You know, this was drilled home to me in a conversation I had with a priest one day. I had lunch with a Catholic priest. And uh, he was telling me he, he really... He, he, he was traveling through Italy. So, of course, he, he speaks Italian, as do many priests. And... and uh, uh, he said that he went into this little town and there was this little priest there and he heard this, this, this homily, this, this uh, little message. And he says, it was just so terrific. He says, I really need to go to confession. And he went up to that priest. So here's one priest going up to another priest and saying, I, I, I need to go to confession. And, and, and uh, this old Italian priest said, forgiven. It's just forgiven. Don't even worry about it. Just like that. And you could think that, how dare he do that? But this is actually how Jesus is. As soon as you feel convicted, you go to him and he says, okay, it's all right. You're good. He just does it. Look again in John chapter 8. John chapter 8, a woman is caught in adultery. Now, the whole thing was a setup. She was caught in adultery because both of both the woman and the man caught in adultery are supposed to be stoned to death. They only brought the woman. So it was a total setup. They bring her to Jesus. Jesus, they said, you know, here's what the law says, what ought to be done. And, and uh, he says, okay, let him who, who is, is not guilty cast the first stone. And they all leave. And some people say, well, Jesus should have cast the first stone because she was guilty of adultery. No, he could not cast the first stone because the eyewitnesses have to cast the first stones. If they do not cast the first stones by the Jewish law, nobody else can cast the first stone. So when they were there, he wasn't. So he says to them in, in verse John chapter 8, verse 10, straightening up, Jesus said to her, woman, where did where are they? Did no one condemn you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, I do not condemn you either. Go. From now on, sin no more. That's it. Jesus, just like that. He didn't say, you know, you're caught in adultery. He didn't belabor this. He just so quick, so quick with forgiveness. That's just the way Jesus is. He's just forgiving and forgiving and forgiving. Uh, uh, he's forgiving them over and over again. Uh, there was another man. Uh, in, in Luke chapter 5, verse 19. In Luke chapter 5, these men bring a friend of theirs who's a paralytic to Jesus to be healed. They couldn't get into the house because it was so full. So they go and they push away some of the reeds on the roof and they lower him in and they lower him down. 
And uh, remember, he came just for healing in Luke chapter 5, verse 19. But not finding any way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down through the tiles with a stretcher into the middle of the crowd in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven you. That's it. That's it. Why is Jesus so forgiving? Just like Joseph, why is Joseph so forgiving? That's the Lord whom we serve. He is just dripping with kindness and forgiveness. He does not belabor this. Let's go through all the details of the way you hurt me. Do you know how much that hurt me? Let's go through all the details of this. You know, I spent those 13 years as a slave and as in prison because of you. No, he says, don't worry. God had a purpose. And God's purpose in this was so that I could preserve life. Well, couldn't he have preserved the life without 13 years of torture? Couldn't God have used Joseph to preserve life without torturing him for having him go through torture for 13 years? Yeah, he could have. He could have done anything he wanted to do. He could have had no famine to begin with. God allows things in our lives for the good of other people. We often go through things for the good of other people. As believers, we are called to suffer often for the good of other people. We are called upon to give our money to others because we, we, we live for Jesus. We are called upon to endure shame for His name, for the good of other people, to see others coming to the Lord. We are called upon for the good of other people. Joseph says, I was sent here. God sent me here to preserve life. For the good of other people, these things happen. Jesus is just dripping with forgiveness. This is why he says in James chapter 2, verse 13, it says, For judgment will be merciless to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James chapter 2, verse 13. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If I didn't know any better, I would think that Joseph had been reading the book of Romans. But the book of Romans was written 17 years after Joseph lived. But it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. He caused it to work good. And this is exactly what Joseph is saying. In fact, in the end of the book of, of Hebrews, after, after Jacob dies, then the other ten brothers think that, that okay, now Joseph's going to come after them. And, and they come to him and they say, they bow down, they say, we were really sorry for what we did. We, and Joseph says to them in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph said to them, uh, um, in, well, we'll read it from verse, verse uh, uh, 19. But Joseph said to them, this is Genesis chapter 50, verse 19, Do not be afraid, for I'm not in God's place. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring about this present result to preserve many people alive. Again, God allowed all this to preserve life. He saw the higher purpose of God in all of this. He saw the higher purpose of God in all of his suffering. He saw exactly as Paul wrote, that all things work together for good to those 
who love God and are called according to His purpose. In other words, when we love God and we are walking according to His will, will, He causes all things to work together for good. All the struggling, all the pain in our lives, He causes it to work together for good. God does that. God is the one who does it. And this is exactly the life of Joseph. And if you look back, there's this verse in Isaiah. I want to finish up in this. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, which is a verse that I always show when I'm sharing the gospel with people. Isaiah 43, verse 25. And this is God speaking. It is an amazing verse. Isaiah 43, 25. And in fact, Charles Spurgeon, who is one of the greatest evangelists the world has ever known, says this, word, this text, this verse, has unusual power in evangelism. And I've seen it myself. As soon as I, read, as, as, as I show this verse to a person and they start reading it, I see tears in their eyes. And I know that person is going to get saved that within minutes they will be saved. As soon as I see the tear in their eye when they read this verse, God says, I, even I, am the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. So God says this in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 25, I, even I. So God is making clear, this is God speaking. This is me, I, even I. And the one who wipes out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. When he says, I will wipe out your transgressions for my own sake, I liken it to something like this. Say one of my children was put in jail. I would go immediately and bail them out. And even if they said, Dad, no, for what I did, I deserve to be here. I would say, no, you are my child. If, it, if it's at all possible, I'm getting you out of here. I'm going to bail you out. We'll deal with these other things later. But for my own sake, I'm bailing you out. That's exactly what God does because a lot of times we share the gospel with people and they think, this is too easy. This is too good. I can't receive this. I don't deserve this. And I've heard people say this to me. I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to have a salvation like this. I don't deserve it. And I say, no, you don't understand. God does this for His own sake. He loves you so much. He's doing this for your own sake. It's not a matter of you deserving or feeling you're deserving. God says, I'm doing this for my own sake. I'm going to wipe out your transgressions for my own sake. And I will not remember your sins. When God says, I will not remember, it's different than us not remembering something. That means he's not going to act upon. So when he says, and he remembered Noah, it wasn't like, oh my goodness, I left the water running. Let me go and help Noah in the ark. No, it means that... that When he says, and he remembered Noah, it means now he's going to act according to the things that he said. Or when he says, and God remembered Abraham. He remembered the promise to Abraham that he was going to give him a son. When God says, I will not remember your sins, I'm not going to act upon them. Joseph didn't act upon their sins. These ten brothers probably thought, we deserve to be slaves. After what we did to you, we will just serve as your slaves. But he wouldn't have it. He would not have it. Forgiveness is very rapid and very fast. As believers, we are called to forgive. And when people come and there's a time to forgive, we, we don't need to know the details. He just looked at their hearts. They didn't confess all the details, but he just looked at their hearts. He knew their hearts had changed. It was good enough. Jesus looked at Zacchaeus. His heart's changed. He says he's going to give back four times over for everything. He said, salvation has come to this house. 
Well, He hasn't given it yet. I don't care. Salvation has come to this house. It's always better to err on the side of being like Jesus. Woman, no one's condemned you. She was caught in the very act of adultery. He says, I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. I don't condemn you. You've been through enough. I don't condemn you. Like the old Catholic priest. Okay, you're forgiven. Don't, don't even do it. It's, it's, it's fast. I mean, God's grace is so good. It's so good. It's quick. It's so fast. Forgiveness is like this. If you don't know the Lord, I urge you this day, please come into a relationship with Jesus. He says, I will wipe out your transgressions for my own sake. For Jesus' sake, for His own sake, He will wipe out your transgressions this very day. Jesus is there for the unsaved. Give Him, give Him the opportunity to wipe out your sins very, very quickly. Give Him the opportunity to do that very quickly. To wipe out your sins very quickly. And remember your sins no more. Just boom, deal with it. Jesus is so quick. We need to learn to walk in forgiveness. What what is amazing about Joseph is what he didn't do. He didn't strike back at his brothers. He didn't strike back at Potiphar's wife for getting him thrown in prison because of of her lies. He didn't didn't complain to, to Pharaoh about what Pharaoh's country had done to him. What's amazing about Joseph is what he didn't do. There was no retribution in his heart. How we must walk in forgiveness. And if you do not know the Lord, I urge you to know Him this day. I will meet with you by Zoom, one-on-one. We will have a private conversation and and, and, uh, uh, the Lord will lead you to Him. I am sure of it. You just send me an email to tour at rice.edu and I will meet with you and we will have a private time together. We will do that. And the Lord will lead you to Himself that very day. Let's pray. Oh, Lord Jesus, I thank You so much for the truth of Your Word. It is so wonderful. Your Word is good and righteous and holy. Lord, thank You for the the life of Joseph, for the way he walked in pure and utter forgiveness. No retribution in his heart. He was so quick to forgive. Lord, thank You. Thank You, Lord Jesus, for the way You forgive so quickly. Somebody just comes with a repentant heart. Boom! Your forgiveness comes. Lord, You are the best in every way, the most kind, the most gracious, the most loving. Lord Jesus, You are so wonderful. I love You so much, Lord Jesus. Thank You, Lord, for the demonstration of Your life. Father, I pray for the believers on this this call, in this room, that You would so work in their lives that they would learn to forgive rapidly. They would learn not to hold anything, to just forgive rapidly rapidly, just like Jesus did, just like Joseph did. And Father, for those that are struggling now in their hearts because of conviction, Father, I pray that you give them the opportunity to to make a phone call and get all that corrected and to say, look, it's done. It's done. Don't worry about it. It's done. Lord, I pray that you would be able to, to work in their lives, that they'd give you the opportunity to work in their lives and their hearts and to say, Lord, I just commit that to you, that they would learn to walk in forgiveness toward others. And Lord, to the unbelievers on this call, I pray, Lord, that you would draw them close to Jesus. Draw them close to Jesus. Your blessing and your grace be there. The unbelievers, that you draw them, that we'd be be able to get together with them and share the gospel with them and that their hearts would turn to you because, Lord, you are so good. Blessed be your name. Thank you, Lord God. 
the name of Jesus and the blessing of Jesus be upon these, I pray. Amen.